Good morning. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. Thank you, Zach. Well, hello. Good morning. Yeah, we're waking up. Um, my name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Tucson. And um, if you're new, I just want to say hello. And we're so glad that you're here with us this morning. I'm especially excited this morning because we have a good friend of mine um, here to preach uh, this morning as we continue in this series in M Malachi. So before I introduce him and say some things about him, um, uh, before I forget, I want us to turn to M M Malachi, where we are this morning. Um, and if you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and turn there. And um, if you don't and you would like one, which I encourage you to do, would you hold your hand up high and keep it up and we will get you a copy of God's Word. Y en español, si quiere la Biblia y no tiene, por favor, levante su mano y diga español. Y si no tiene una Biblia, eso es un regalo a usted. Y um, esta mañana estamos en Alequias. So again, this is our gift to you, okay? If you don't own a Bible, um, please keep this and make it your, your own, all right? And put your name in it and um, underline stuff and ask questions. Um, this is God's word and is um, shaping for us in all of life. And um, I, I trust that the sermon that we get to sit under this morning will do exactly that. As um, uh, the guy that is here to preach, his name is Michel Duarte. And um, if I mispronounce that at all, you can, you can co correct me. But um, uh, Michelle works with the Surge Network, which we're a part of, and al it also um, works with um, R R Roosevelt Community Church in, um, in Phoenix. And, and he has a great um, heart. I've gotten to know some of his, or gotten to meet his family some this morning. And um, his walk with the Lord and the things that, that he sees, um, I'm excited for us to hear um, about this morning. So with that, would you go ahead and welcome up with me, Michelle? Okay, good morning. I'm going to try my best not to fall off this stairs. <laughs> I, my wife is like, you're totally going to fall off that. <laughs> so I'll, I'll try really hard. Um, it's a privilege to be with you this morning. And it's a privilege to share from God's word of you this morning. And before I jump in, I'd like to pray for us to get started. 
Thank you, Jesus, so much for your love and your kindness, your mercy, for um, the way how you work in our lives, Lord, for the way you work in each one of us here this morning, the way you work in the city, and for everything you're going to do, Lord. We pray for your word this morning. I pray that, uh, that you are uh, speaking to our hearts, that your spirit will be at work as we listen to the sermon this morning. That the words that don't come from you, Lord, I will go away, and I will be able to focus on what you're talking to us this morning, Lord. We praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so in case you, ha- you can tell, I am sick, and I just realized that I shook hands with a bunch of you. <laughs> so there's alcohol somewhere in there. Wash your hands. And I'm sure half of you are sick too, so please forgive my, my voice. Um, so just to give a little bit of context, um, so I'm born and raised in Brazil, so... Yes, I have an accent, and yes, I can't pronounce half of the words in this passage this morning, so bear with me. That's why I was like, make sure you read the whole passage this morning, because I could not say weird. See, I still can't say it. Um, so, born and raised in Brazil, I became a Christian when I was 14, and long, I'll make a very long story short, God did some amazing things in my life, uh, and uh, you know, I started sharing the gospel with people in, in Brazil. I you know, grew up in, in poverty, and you know. Uh, single mom raising me, um, a lot of struggles, and people didn't expect much, but God had other plans for me, and ended up becoming a missionary in Turkey, and that's how I ended up in the U.S., because I met my wife, which was from, you know, born and raised in Arizona, we met in Turkey, and Julie, the most beautiful one on that corner there, <laughs> we met in Turkey in, in 2001, and interesting fact, because I know a lot of you know Jim Mullins from Redemption Team P. So I met Jim Mullins, and the same day I met Julie, my wife. So they were on the same short-term trip that came to Turkey. I became friends. I've been friends with Jim the same length of time of, uh, since I know my wife. Um, so the text this morning is uh, very interesting. I hope you stay with me. And I'm sure glad that the chair is uncomfortable, so I know you're not going to fall asleep. <laughs> like, I know that's going to help you stay awake. But if you don't have your Bible open, please make sure you have it open there. We're going to be looking at it. And I want to start by, by saying that it's so hard sometimes when, when you don't know exactly who you're talking to. So I'm one of the pastors at Rosedale Community Church, and I've been there for almost five years, so I really got to know the people there. So I kind of, I, all the time, I pretty much know who I'm talking to. So some of the stuff, you know, it would be hit and miss. Some of you may or may not connect with it, but that's why I really pray that the Word of God can connect with each one of us. So, like, is, is there anyone else here that's not born in the U.S.? I'm just curious. Cool. Okay. Anyone else here that their parents weren't born in the U.S.? Cool. You know, if I keep going, all of you probably raise your hand, right? <laughs> so we're all immigrants in a way. So here's, here's this people, the people of God, people of Israel. And they had lived as immigrants, as refugees, Actually, not more. They were like captives. They were captives by the Babylonians. They were a long time living away from home. And then the Persians took over. And they finally went back home. They finally went back home. The temple that they loved so much, the house of God that they had built under Solomon, had been rebuilt. And they're back home, and things are not working too well. So have you, have you ever felt like, why, why is it that, like, some people who I think are pretty evil, dishonest, are doing better than the people who are good. 
right? Have you ever felt like, I mean, if, if, you, if you have everything going on for you, you probably don't think about that, but if you grew up in poverty or if you are oppressed in any way, that thought came to your mind. You probably look at people and like, man, that guy is like shit, a cheater, and he's always like taking like advantage of people, and he's doing way better than I am. So that, that was my story. So like so many times, I still remember, so I became, so when I became a Christian, like the walk from my house to where the, the, the church where I was going to was, it was about 45 minutes. So I know maybe some of you came from a humid place, but imagine a hot, humid day where you finish taking a shower, and by the time you dry yourself, you're wet again. So that's like humidity in Brazil. So here I am, a new Christian, like full of excitement for Jesus, and I, yes, finally my life is going to turn out all right. Finally things are going well, you know, God's going to change my life. And I'm a Christian now, and I'm reading my Bible every day, I'm praying every day, and I'm walking to church for 45 minutes every day, sweating like crazy. And I'm like, as I'm walking, I'm thinking, man, I, I, when am I, like, this is like later, you know, like I kept, you know, I kept working, by the way, I started working really early, so that's why it makes sense to say that I was saving money, and I still didn't have enough money to buy a bike or anything. And I looked at the guys who I knew were dealing drugs in the neighborhood, and they would go by in their Kawasaki Ninja and nice motorcycles. I was like, man, why, why, why do they do so much better than the Christians? Like, why do I, like, I don't have even a bicycle right now, Lord. So I was like whining, complaining. This is kind of like what was happening with the people here. They're looking at the people around them and thinking, why, like, why are they still oppressing us? Why are they still doing better than us? It actually took it a step farther. They were actually full-on accusing God. Because here's another thing that maybe you don't wonder, like, why people that are worse than me doing better than me. Maybe you say, why there's evil in this world if God is good, right? Why, I mean, they're like full-on accusing God, and they're like saying, God, like, why, why, why are you allowing this? Here's some background to understand, like I was saying. They came, they built this temple. They're, they're like, we're set. We're back in Jerusalem, the holy city. We built God's temple, God's house. But God was not pleased with them. He was not moving in. Beautiful new temple, shiny. No God in the house. The house was empty. God wasn't pleased with them. The, they were struggling they're still looking and feeling like we need God back. Why did they want a God back so bad? They wanted to see the miracles of the old times of Solomon's temple. They wanted to be put in a place of honor again among, amongst the nations. They wanted to be recognized as the God, God's people, this special people that wherever they go, God favors them. They missed that. They wanted that to be back again. They wanted to be feared and respected. They're tired of being pushed around. They're tired of being ca taken captive. But remember, the reason why they're being oppressed and taken captive is because they're not being faithful to the Lord. And they came back from captivity just as bad as when they left. Still, they wanted God, they wanted God to show that He blessed Israel, that they were the blessed nation of Israel. In other words, they wanted God to make Israel great again. Sounds familiar. They wanted God to really please. Like, we're tired of being pushed to the side. We're tired of not being put in our position as God's people, as the main people that should rule the nations. But they forgot that God wasn't having it. It didn't matter how mad they were at God, how much they would raise their fist at God. God was not moving in the house. And they're accusing God in three ways. In verse 17, 
It says, you have reared the Lord with words. But you say, how have we reared him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? So there are three accusations here. So they're accusing him of approving of evil deeds. Like they're full on saying, God, you're, you're, you're okay with evil. You're just going along with it. You're saying it's totally fine. They're basically doubting the goodness of God. They're forgetting everything that God had done for them throughout their whole history. Second, they're accusing him of delighting on people who do evil. They're full on attacking the character of God. Like, he can't really be good. Like, how can God be good if he allowed all this evil stuff to happen? And finally, they're accusing him of being indifferent. Where is the God of justice? They really should be asking, where is God? Because the house was still empty. God was not in their midst. They wanted his justice, but they didn't want God. Just like many of us today, we want justice, but we don't want God. We want to have justice on our own terms. They wanted more of the justice than they wanted the, the, the God of the justice. God's response, verse three, I mean, chapter 3, verse 1, Behold, I send my messenger, and I will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to, the, to this temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. God's response was to say, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And in, in this context here, the idea of coming back is both for the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. But he's very clear saying, look, I am the God of the universe. I'm the one in charge. Doesn't matter how things are messed up in your life. Doesn't matter how things seem out of control for you. I'm still sitting on the throne. Like God is not afraid of your accusations. God is not afraid of our questions. We are always free to ask questions to God. But God said he was tired of them because they kept saying these things to God when they're failing to see what was going on deep in their own hearts. And in the coming of Jesus... When, when Jesus comes back, it's going to be both good news and it's going to be hard news too. But let's see what happens, what, what's difficult about when he comes back. Chapter, chapter 3, verse 2 says, But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when, it, when he appears? For he's like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. By the way, fuller's soap is not a brand of soap. It's just a soap that cleans really well. And, you know, we're in the country of washing machines and liquid detergent. It just, like, you know, you don't even think about that stuff. But, like, most of the world actually washes clothes with soap. And you have to scrub it really hard. And you need a soap that's very alkaline, that's really strong and, like, cleans really well. And it scrubs and it hurts her hands. So my grandma, my, my dad's mom, she raised her, her kids. They're, they're very poor. They lived in a, basically in a shack. But the way she raised all her kids was by washing clothes by hand by, you know, for wealthy people in the town. So I watched her you know, washing it and her. I loved to play with her hands as a kid. I would always play with her thumb because it felt like a raisin. <laughs> it was permanently like a raisin from using that strong soap. So that's the kind of soap that, that the Bible is talking about here, really strong soap. So what does the Lord coming mean means to us? First, it means that the work begins with his people. So Israel is saying, God, come, we want to see your justice. Why? Because they wanted them to be changed? No, they are looking thinking, 
all these other people out there. Oh, and it's always easy for us to see the sins of other people, right? All these other people, I want to see them judged. I want to see their sin taken care of. So God begins with us, begins with his people purifying us. It says in chapter 3, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old in the former years. So notice here that God is comparing his people to gold and silver. So in case you haven't noticed that, gold and silver are precious, are beautiful. You and I were precious and beautiful in God's eyes. We are his creations, his workmanship. He, he loves each one of us and he has created us. But just like gold and silver, we have lots of impurity in us. We have lots of things that are melted deep inside of us to the point that sometimes we don't even see that's there. We just think we look shiny. You can shine on the outside, but there's impurities inside, right? So that's what happens when, when we think about God purifying us as gold and silver. First of all, that you are precious to him. doesn't matter how you feel. doesn't matter how other people make you feel. What matters is the one who made you think you're gold, that you're silver, but he's not going to put up with the impurities inside of us. He's going to purify us, and he starts with his people. As he's purifying us, he's purifying us as, as individuals. He's working in each one of our lives, but he's also purifying us as a community. Remember, this is a word to the whole community of Israel. He's always working, like the whole Bible is forming, shaping these people for God's purpose of blessing all the nations, of making these people who would be a blessing to others. Israel was very quick and very eager to see judgment coming in other nations and would often neglect and deny the fact that the fact that they were called to be God's people in the first place was to be a blessing to the nations. That was the covenant of Abraham. So verse 4 says, Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, in the former years. So remember, like we're a nation of priests. That's what in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 5 says. We're talking about Jesus here. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. Again, the word precious. You yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. When he comes back, he will begin by judging us, not the other way around. When he comes back, we're not going to be pointing our fingers at him and saying, where were you when this was happening? He's like, hey, I was there the whole time. You didn't see me. Now let's, let's talk about it. Let's flip this and see what happens in, in verse 5. It says, Then I'll draw near to you for judgment. I'll be a swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner, and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. So before I break down and look at it a little bit, of it, the sins, just remind, the big picture here is that God wanted to establish his shalom, his peace, on the whole earth, not just for his people. He 
He wanted to bring it through his people. He wanted his people to be assigned to all the nations. But he wanted to bring that peace, that justice to all the nations. And that's why he's constantly dealing with the sin among his people. Because he wants to purify, he wants to transform these people to be assigned to what he wants to do with all nations, with everyone, not just the people of God, that they thought they were the chosen ones, so who cares about the rest? So I know, like, as you listen to this list, some of you are thinking sorcerer. Like, I mean, does anyone know a sorcerer? Which, like, some of you might. If I was in Brazil, probably half of you would raise your hand. If we were in Africa, maybe 90% of you would would raise your hand, right? So I know some of the sins, it's easy for us to think like, I'm, I, don't, I don't really understand that. That doesn't really connect with me. But the truth is, in every culture, in every time, the culture will say what sins are worse and which ones are not. So maybe you think, ah, I don't care about sorcery right now, witchcraft. But basically, if you're using money to get what you want, if you're using anything other than God, and if you're trying to just get things and use God himself, that's a way of sorcery. That's a way of like, that's what witchcraft is. It's people going and giving Brazil, they go and give their entire salary to the witch doctor or to the, the macumbeiro, we call them in Brazil, and say, hey, I really want to marry that girl. Do something here. You know, kill this chicken. Do something here so she will marry me. Right? We're not doing this in America. Come on, you're, you guys are much more elevated than that, right? Instead, use like a nap and and then put up a whole face on social media to make you look really cool. You know, we don't need sorcery. We have internet. Who needs sorcery when you have internet? Uh, it can make you look anything like you want, you know? You don't need a poor chicken to die in your place to do that. So adulterers. Like, man, like, we think of adultery. Like, I know last, last week you guys talked about it. So God hates it. Like, we don't need to say it again, right? But think about the injustice against the, the wives and the kids. And all these things connected to all adultery. Like, we have, we have to be sad about it. We have as much of a divorce rate in the church as we have outside of the church. We have as much of a pornography addiction inside of the church as we have outside of the church. So this is the kind of stuff that God is addressing here. When we think, ah, adultery, I'm not even married. Why would I care about it? Perjurers or, you know, people who swear falsely. Like, man, like, what, what are you talking about? Like, I'm not, like, in a court or anything. Like, just think about it. Like, there's so much, like, gossip. Well, I don't gossip anymore. Well, really, but there's social media now. With social media, you can pass some things that you don't really know if they're true or not, as if they're true. In a way, you're endorsing things that are true. Well, called fake news, right? Like, all this idea of passing on things that you don't even know if they're true or not. We're still, like slaves to lots of these things in our, in our world. Exploiters of workers, full-on economic injustice. Again, man, like, I, I, I haven't hired anyone in, you know, lately, and I haven't paid below minimum wage, but the truth is a lot of us benefit from it in many ways. Like Tucson, Arizona, every, you know, Phoenix, like chances are some of your favorite Mexican places have someone being paid under minimum wage. Chances are the guy who keeps your, your, your yard clean is making less than minimum wage. I, I started and owned a landscaping business, and I learned a lot about the injustice behind this industry. Like, people are being exploited, but we don't care, because all we care is that our yard looks clean, our grass looks streamed, and it's very cheap. I don't want to pay anymore. I had this lady telling me, like, I fired the last company because they, they aren't doing as good of a job. Why? Well, they broke a sprinkler head, and they wouldn't fix it. I was like, do you mind me asking how much did you pay for it? I calculated it was like $6 an hour per person. 
I was like, really? Like, you're surprised they didn't want to pay for the sprinkler head? So it's like, we're, we're okay. Like, we, we don't think of it. We think, man, I'm not oppressing anyone's wages. But in a system, we are in a way. And that's part of all the repentance and the lamenting that we need to, need to come over us. And oppressors of widows and orphans, the vulnerable in our communities. Who are the vulnerable people now? Maybe it's not a widow, maybe it's not an orphan. But we, know we still have our part to play in the foster care system in so many other ways. Oppressors of the sojourner here in this version. But it's really the refugee, the immigrant. Like some of you are immigrants. I'm an immigrant. Like a lot of immigrants get pushed aside, get oppressed. And America is amazing. And you give many amazing opportunities. Like I love this country. Like, I love this country, not just because I married someone from here, but because how I was embraced and received in this country and opportunities were given to me. But even in a country like America, there's a lot of oppression and injustice. There's a lot of things that are happening that often go below the radar. And finally, the idea of that people are basically ignoring God, because when it says that people are not fearing God anymore. So remember, God wants to establish his shalom for everyone. Not just for you, for everyone, for everyone. And he's forming us as this people. He's working us as this people and changing us and making us into the kind of people that we, yes, we're all, the truth is that we're all damaged by sin. We're all sinners and we're all sinned against people. Think about it. We are all sinners and we're all sinned against people. When it comes to sin, we're all victims of sin but we're also all perpetrators of sin, even if you're not aware of it. There's no escaping of it. But the point, I don't say this, so I say, yeah, we're all broken people. Let's hug and say, yeah, we're all terrible. Everyone's terrible. Please join us in feeling terrible and miserable. No, God doesn't want us to just sit in our misery. Like I said, he loves us too much to let us sit in that. He's a holy God forming a holy people. And he's never going to put up with our brokenness. He's going to continually work in each one of us, individually and as a people and as a nation, because he wants us to be one day the kind of people that will be in the final day when he finally fulfills every promise, we're going to be just like he is, holy. So may not feel like that not right now, as you're struggling with your addiction, as you're struggling with your brokenness, it may not feel like that right now. But God loves you too much to let you sit in there and stay there. God is more committed to your holiness, to your sanctification, than you will ever be. And that's good news. That's good news. If anything, that should make you breathe easier. Say, oh yeah, okay. All right, if I make you feel guilty today and make you try to go and live out a very righteous life because a judging God is coming, a God that's purifying people through fire and all that, like, guess what? He's more committed to that than you'll ever be. And he's not going to let us sit in our sins. He's always going to call us out because he loves you and he loves the people who don't know him yet and he wants us to be that kind of people who serve as a witness to this world. And our Western culture is working so hard to get rid of God, to get rid of moral absolutes, to get rid of right and wrong. Because then it goes down to what it says in this verse. People don't fear God. What's the point of fear? Like, why, why is it that we respect laws of when, we, when you're driving? Maybe because you don't want to get in an accident. Maybe because you're afraid of the law, of the police. There's like a certain fear that keeps society going Fear of consequences and punishment, right? You don't go on doing certain things. You pay your taxes because you know if you don't pay, it's worse than the police, you know? 
So it's like, you know, you know there's, there's consequences. But when it comes to God, we're all like, nah, everything goes, everything is fine. If we take God out of the picture, we go back to the garden where we get to decide what's good and what's evil. And then we're left in a deep, deep hole. So uh, interesting part of this passage, it's going to end not with us judging God, but with God judging us. And it's not a judgment just to condemn, but a judgment to purify, a judgment to say that he's not going to allow anything impure to remain among his people, among his nations. And that's good news because it shows that God loves us too much to let us sit in there and also that he has provided a way for us to be back with him. So verse 2 says, But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? No one. Why is he saying that? Because no one. So no one, none of us, will be able to stand before God one day and say, look, God, I'm, I'm pretty good. Like, I, I did pretty well. I didn't cheat. I didn't commit adultery. I, didn't, I wasn't a sorcerer. I wasn't, you know, denying people of their wage. I treat refugees pretty good. I actually volunteered in a refugee agency. I did all this cool stuff. Like, no one's going to be able to say it like that. And the truth is, if you feel like you're not that bad, that means you're comparing yourself to the wrong standard. Because God's standard is Jesus. So that's the one we have to compare ourselves. If we're comparing ourselves to anyone else, we're always going to feel like we're not that bad, right? But God's going to judge us based on the standard of his son, Jesus. And he is, ex he is expecting a per perfect person that only through the blood of Jesus can be made whole again. So... Here are three things that I want us to, to think, um, take away from the sermon. So one, God loves us too much to let us sit in our sins. And if you're a Christian, that means that he'll keep coming to you and he'll keep confronting you with your sins. He'll keep putting you under heat. Think about it. Like the whole idea of like refining gold, refining silver. I mean, you can do some research. But, man, it takes, like, how many degrees? Like, 1,200 degrees. It's like some insane amount of heat applied over the metal to melt to that point, right? And the idea is that some people say that once all the impurities have been removed from gold, the, the, the purifier, the person work on the gold, can see his reflection on the gold. So, yes, God is going to keep bringing pressure and heat on your life. So when you're struggling, when you're suffering with things, don't try to run away from it quickly. Don't, don't try to medicate it with internet, with drugs, with alcohol, whatever. Whatever it seems a way to take away that pain, that pain. Actually, pain and heat and pressure. And man, like, you guys are into sun, so you don't have as much heat. But we know about heat, right? But this is like way more intense. This is not like a landscaper working in the summer heat. That's an experience for you, if you ever want to try that. Like... Like staying out in the summer, right? That's like intense heat. Like at the end of the day, you're exhausted. At the end of the day, it's like, oh, you want some cold water and shade. Like you're spent, you're done. And that's how trials and all the tests that we go through feels like. When you're going through it, you're like, I just want to be in a room of AC right now. I don't want to be under this trial. I just want to be on my phone looking at some happy people smiling on top of a beautiful mountain. I don't want to be right where I'm sitting right now. But God is saying, sit where you are and ask God, what can I learn from this? 
What are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to change me into? What needs to change in my heart? And God will reveal that to you. And he will keep applying the heat. If you keep coming back to that, it's like, yeah, Lord, amen. It's hard, but I'm here. I want to keep being purified. I want to keep being changed. It's for your own good and for the good of others. And if you're not Christian, that means it's good news. That God has provided a way through his son, Jesus Christ, for you to put your faith, your trust, and know that God has called you to him. That there's no amount of brokenness and sin and, and failures in your life that could ever stop you from putting your faith and trust in Jesus and knowing that he can make you part of this family. He can make, make you part of a people that is not perfect, but it's being turned into a perfect people each day as God is working through his spirit. That's another thing. It's his spirit that's at work in us. It's not our own power, our own strength. He gives us the desire, the strength, the ability to endure that trial, to endure that, like just like us. I, I tell people when they move to Phoenix in the summer and they start complaining, I said, don't worry, you adapt. <laughs> you adapt, it will get easier. You, you get used to it. Because right? God gives us that, that, that ability to, to endure, to adapt, to, to, to navigate that pressure, the things that you're going through. So second thing is that the refining process is painful and intense, but don't avoid it, right? Don't walk away from it. And lastly, in the end, he will make things right again. So remember the biblical story, right? He created us, mankind. We messed up. Adam and Eve entered into a disagreement of God and rebelled against him and walked away from him. And God chose a people for himself, made a promise that I'll make things right again. And you and I are living now in this time of living this promise of this new people that through Jesus who came and died and rose again, were given the opportunity to be part of this new family, of this new royal priesthood. This Levites that we're talking about here is also an image for us, the church. This people who is being changed into the people that God has called us to be until the day when he's finally going to come and set things right again. He's going to judge evil. He's going to take care of all that evil that you saw. And if you look at Psalm 73, if you look at Jeremiah 12, 1, there's, this has been an old thing where we're debating, why God? Why did you let all these things happen? Why are there so many bad things happening? But know that the end is in his hands. And there's nothing that doesn't go unnoticed by God. That every disaster, everything, everything that happens, every injustice, all the people who are dying from, from, from the, the coronavirus right now, all, all these things that you're like, how, how is that possible? How can all these bad things happen? That because we're still in this broken world. But God is continuously working. We can look at all the injustice, but knowing that there is a God in heaven. There is a God that sits on the throne of the universe saying, the end belongs to me. And the end is already written on this book. The Bible, the Word of God, the Bible that you have so many translations in English, and we have so many translations, so many languages, that has made it possible for you and me to put our faith and trust that God can turn someone like you and me into God's people that can then be a blessing to people and can help heal this world, all just as a little glimpse, just as the, like a movie trailer. We're like this movie trailer people that just gets people in the world like excited. Oh, I can't wait to see that movie. I can't wait to see that happen at the end. Are you living that excitement? Or are you just thinking, oh, but there's so many bad things happening. 
Or you're thinking, look at all the good things that we're just seeing glimpses right now. Just seeing little ideas of it. Every act of love and kindness and the way how you love one another and the way how you love the vulnerable and the way how you speak for those who cannot speak for themselves. All those things are little signs of a people that's being transformed and changed by the power of God to become one day a full established kingdom of God on this earth with new heavens and new earth. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you, Lord, that you love us too much to let us sit in our sin. He loves us too much to let us just sit in our brokenness and get comfortable with it and self-medicate us in whatever ways to get used to it. You confront us with our sins, Lord. You help us see, Lord, that you are a holy God, that you want us to be holy, that you want us to see you, Lord, as you are, Lord, and be changed into the kind of people you want us to be, Lord. Please, Lord, I pray that your spirit will be at work here this morning in every one of our hearts and help us become the kind of people you want us to be. Help us repent and turn away from our sins. Lord, help us not turn away from the heat that comes from you purifying fire, Lord. Lord, we pray that this house will no longer be empty, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you move back in, Lord, in each one of our hearts and dwell in your full presence, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.